Hey, elementary and middle school, uh, you guys are dismissed and can head out. Well, as much as I enjoyed uh, our trip to Haiti, uh, I'm really glad to be here this morning. Um, We went to church last Sunday morning and I couldn't understand a word. The whole time. It's really weird to be in a church service for two hours and not know what they're saying. So I'm assuming it was good stuff, um, but I'm excited to be here today and uh, to worship with you guys and, and to look at God's word. And um, So this morning we're going to kind of go all the way back to the beginning at the start. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, the first book of the Bible, God uh, killed some animals to provide clothing. For their once naked bodies. And this practice of shedding blood through animal sacrifice was something that would continue throughout the Old Testament. Um, in fact, very early on in Genesis chapter 8, right after God had flooded the world uh, for 40 days and 40 nights, and then finally Noah and his family and the animals that were aboard that, that ark uh, came to rest on dry ground, um, you'll, you'll see evidence of that. So I'm going to pick up that story Um, In Genesis 8, verse 18, it says this, So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So that's the, the very beginning of time. And from that point on, that, that practice kind of continued. Um, many years later, you guys are familiar with Moses, and he leads the Israelites who were in slavery in Egypt out And towards the promised land, but they had to take like a 40-year detour in the wilderness. And there Moses received the Ten Commandments from God, but he also received a lot of other laws and regulations and and rituals, practices, things God wanted them to do and be as a people. And one of those included animal sacrifice for the payments of sins. So I want you to open your Bibles to Leviticus. You were probably studying it this morning when you got up. It's page 69 in your Bible, Leviticus chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 27. Leviticus 4, verse 27 says this. This is God speaking. If any member, well, speaking through Moses. If any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands... When they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sin they committed a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering, And the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. So in this sacrificial system, the lamb 
took the place of the human, okay? And it was a substitute for their sins. And whether we understand it or whether we agree with it or not, um, that's the practice, the institution that God established for his people. Um, and in fact, in Hebrews 9.22, it says this. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And this sacrificial system went on for thousands of years until the death of Christ. So, fast forward to the New Testament. The Gospel of John records kind of the first, um, at least, adult encounter between John the Baptist and Jesus. Okay? In John one twenty nine, he writes this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus now is equated with that lamb from the Old Testament. And the reason why he is is because he was the only person that fit the requirement of being pure and spotless, okay? Because he was the only human that was sinless. Paul describes it like this in 1 Corinthians 5.21. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus shed his blood so that we might be forgiven, okay? The righteous for the unrighteous. But since that day of the crucifixion, the need for animal sacrifice is no longer. It's done once and for all, okay? So now, 20 plus years after Jesus' death, Paul is spreading the gospel throughout the the Roman Empire, and he's writing a letter to the church in Rome, people who are in the the pagan capital of the Roman Empire who are very familiar with this idea of sacrifice. And they were sacrificing to appease their gods so that, you know, whatever, the war would go their way or the crops would be good that year. So he's using language that they understand as well. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles now to Romans chapter 12. It's page 789. Romans chapter 12. Okay, so Romans 12, verse 1 says this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul is suggesting to these young followers of Christ, okay, that our Christian duty is now to willingly offer our lives as a pleasing sacrifice to God. That's a pretty evocative image, isn't it? In the sacrificial system, the lamb didn't really have a choice, right? It was put on the altar, whether it wanted to be or not. But Paul is asking us to choose to lay down our lives. But here's the problem with the living sacrifice. All right, Dwight Moody, who was one of the most famous uh, American evangelists in the late 1800s, he said this, the problem with the living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar. The problem with the living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar. And man, it is so easy to crawl off the altar. And I'll get to more of that later. But first, let's start that Romans 12:1 verse over again. And I want to see the perspective that we should have kind of with this unusual request that Paul has 
for the Romans. So it starts out with the word therefore, and I want you to kind of put that to the side for a second. The second thing he says is, I urge you. So what does he mean? Well, he's saying to the Romans and to all of us, really, that you have a choice. Okay, we all have a choice about whether we obey or disobey God. And it's kind of like um, being a parent of a 17 or 18-year-old kid. How many of you have parented a 17 or 18-year-old? A few of you out there? Yes. (laughs) As a parent... We understand that somewhere around that age, you know, we got to start letting our kids make their own decisions and then just kind of let the consequences fall where they may, let them fail if they need to, to learn from their mistakes, okay? But we as parents, we have this wealth of knowledge and experience, right, that we are just pretty desperate to impart on our kids so that they'll hopefully avoid some of the mistakes and the pitfalls, some of the pain that we went through in our own stupid choices when we were young, right? We don't want our kids to go through that, all right? But we also know that we can't make them do things once they reach a certain age. But we can sure urge them to, right? (laughs) And I mean, I know there's been times when I've talked with my kids where I'm just like, I am begging you, listen to me on this one. Trust me here. I know how this is going to go, right? We've been in those situations where it's just like, oh man, please listen to me, right? But kids that age seem to think that they know better than their parents, true? (laughs) Can I get an amen from the teenagers? Yeah, you're like, man, these people are idiots, right? (laughs) You young parents, ah, you just wait. I, can't, I cannot wait for the, for the phone calls to Pastor Bob. It's going to be fun. Um, so Paul, right, he can't, he can't tell them this is what they have to do. He's saying, I'm urging you. I'm urging you to do this. And he's urging us today. He's saying, guys, listen to me here. Okay? So now we look at that word, therefore, and we couple it together with a couple of phrases later. It says, in view of God's mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. See, Paul has just spent 11 chapters leading up to this, basically spelling out in very extreme detail the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has covered everything in there. He's laid it out, sin, forgiveness, new life in Christ, right? The resurrection, the Holy Spirit's role in our life, community, church, like the whole enchilada. And he's saying, in view of God's mercy for us, you see, that's the motivation for us to be a living sacrifice. Why do we willingly crawl up onto the altar? Because of God's mercy. Not out of a sense of duty or obligation or to feel like, oh man, I just I owe it to God to do the right thing. No, because we do it because we're grateful. We're grateful for all that he is and all that he's done, how much he loves us. Let's look at just a short list of the mercies that Paul has described to the Romans so far. If we go back through, I just picked out a few. There's a lot more. One of the great mercies of God is that we've been justified. That word justified means that we've been made right. Okay? We were sinful people, but Jesus died for us. He was our substitute and paid for our sins, so now we've been made right before God. We've been adopted into his family. We, we are no longer orphans. God has taken us in. We are under grace instead of the law. The people in the Old Testament were under the law. They had to follow things a certain way, and and it was just, it was a rough system to live under. Now we have this grace that covers over our sins. We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, which makes us more than conquerors, right? 
We have the presence of God in us. People in the Old Testament never experienced that. And that, that Holy Spirit that's in us, it's a deposit for the promise of eternal life. We know that we have eternal life if we know the Holy Spirit is in us and we're experiencing change in our life. We also know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. These are all God's mercies towards us, things that we don't deserve, that have been granted to us by simply saying, God, I receive you. I accept your gift, your payment for me. Okay, we didn't do anything to deserve those things. And so if those truths have sunken into our hearts and minds, and if we truly believe that those mercies are for us, then shouldn't those things be enough motivation for us to then say to God, yeah, you can have my life. I lay it down for you. And in so doing, communicate to him, Father, kill the parts in me that are in opposition to you. Kill the parts in me that are in opposition to you. To you. Check out this quote that I came across this week. This guy said, We must believe that these divine mercies have persuasive powers over our wills. Why? Why must we believe that? This is me asking you a question. Do what now? I'm sorry. In my world, my will is so strong, I need something powerful. Okay. She says in her, in her life, um, her will is so strong that she needs something more powerful than that to, to change her heart. Good. Other thoughts? Yeah, Randy? Yeah. Um, for me, um, put my total faith and love and trust into God is to stand for something. Um, before I came to Christ, I remember... Um, fall for anything you know I was subject to, to all of the sinful natures of my self-will but put my total trust into God is to totally believe that he's got me mm-hmm. that he owns me yeah my life is his not mine yeah so he said apart from God when he didn't really have an anchor a foundation in his life he was tossed about by every whim or anything the world was pulling on him and now he's got this kind of solid rock in his life that keeps him grounded Okay, when I thought about this, when I read this, I thought of the alternative, (laughs) you know, that if I didn't have those divine mercies, like I have to have those, if without those divine mercies, we have no hope. There's no hope that we're going to have any kind of power in our lives over, yeah, our own just self-centered will. So he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, every part of you. When he says bodies, he means everything, soul, spirit, mind, flesh, all of it. And here's the real kicker, guys. It's his anyway. It's his anyway. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.20. Later, Paul writes this. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Did you know that? That once you entered into a relationship with God, your life's not yours anymore anyways. But he still gives us the freedom to offer it. See, the price for our freedom was the life of Jesus, which he willingly laid down 
on our behalf. And so he says, in return, I want you, your true and proper worship, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, your true and proper worship now is to offer your body back to me as a living sacrifice, as an offering of gratitude, as an offering of gratitude, okay? So it's important that we understand that this is a living sacrifice, okay, which means that it's, it's active, it's ongoing, which means that it's not just a, a one-and-done decision in your life. It is a daily reality, that each morning as we wake up, and Paul says we need to take the posture of this in view of God's mercies, every single morning we got to come back to what are these things that are true that I don't deserve, that God has granted me, and i got to live out of that in gratitude every single day I say, God, my life is yours. I'm laying down my life. I'm offering it to you, right? And God, you've given me these indescribable gifts, grace, love, forgiveness, hope, joy, purpose. And our response is to willfully, joyfully, in light of those things, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice every day. And that spirit of submission is holy and pleasing to God. And guys, listen, our part, okay, this is my, this is my altar this morning, our part is just to come and just to, to lay down, just as we are, broken and flawed and messed up and in need and hurting, sometimes prideful and arrogant, thinking we've got it all together. God's part then, kind of like that song called Calling on Fire, is to burn away the impurities in us, to enter into that attitude of surrender and to come in and make us holy So in practical terms, how do we become a living sacrifice? Okay, Paul gives us some clues if we look at the next verse in Romans 12. So let's look at verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, Check out the way John describes the pattern of this world. First John 2, he writes this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So he talks about the, the, these things of the world, and he says, just gives us these three descriptors. He says, first of all, the lust of the flesh. And that speaks to appetites and excesses in our life. Gluttony, drunkenness, sexual sins of all varieties. Then he says the lust of the eyes, materialism, coveting what other people have, being jealous of others, the pride of life, ambition in us that puffs us up that makes us think that we're better than other people because of our brains or our looks or our bank account or our gifts or abilities. The patterns of this world are all summed up in those three areas, Paul says. And all of those things, if you really want to boil it down, they're just idols that take the place of God. They're things that we've elevated in our life in terms of importance over pleasing him. They're things that control us. So how do we avoid being corrupted by the patterns of this world? Paul says that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, how do we do that? 
Well, in order for our minds to be transformed, first of all, we have to have a spirit of humility to admit that maybe we don't know it all, okay? Secondly, so we have to be teachable. Secondly, we have to come to God's word, and we have to allow his word to reshape our thoughts, to begin to, to see and understand things in God's way, like we've been talking about this year, the Jesus way has to replace our way in understanding what that is, right? To be transformed, we have to be in community with other people. We have to be praying for and being prayed for, encouraging others, challenging people to not stay in sinful places, speaking the truth and love to one another, walking with each other towards healing and change. That's how we become transformed. Folks, in 2016, I want to call us to a place of surrender. In view of God's mercies, that we might not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But for that to happen, to ensure that as living sacrifices we don't crawl off the altar, we have to ask God and we have to ask one another to pin us down. To pin us down. Do you ever remember when you were a kid being pinned down by somebody? I was tiny, all right? And so like in ninth grade, I weighed 87 pounds. Tiny. So just about any friend I had, guy or girl, could pin me down whenever they wanted to, to the point where I literally couldn't move, okay? And now in a very spiritual sense, I'm saying to you, This morning, I'm saying for myself, I need that this year. If I can get the courage to get up on the altar, I need God to pin me down. And here's why. How many times in my life have I heard God's voice? And I've heard the Holy Spirit tugging me very clearly about what I should do. And I just ignore him. I make excuses. I I justify my way of current behavior so that I don't have to change. In my pride or in my fear, I've been unwilling to put my will on the altar. Too many times. I'm a master at explaining God's voice away. Or how many times have I heard his voice and actually summoned up the courage to get on the altar, right? I've taken that first step and said, okay, God, let's do this, man. I surrender. And it's the first sight of trouble. At the first sight of persecution or, or discouragement, man, I'm like whew, crawling right back off, right back into my old patterns, my old ways of thinking and living. So quick to abandon the whole thing. Too many times. And so this year, I say, Lord, pin me down. Don't let me go. When you see me start to get up, when things start to get hard, I start to get discouraged, I start to be filled with fear, pin me down. Not just on the things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be, but also on the things I should be doing, but I'm not. And guys, you can fill in the blank here with your own issue. 
I've just got a few examples. Maybe some of us this morning need to say, God, pin us down on getting out of debt or getting a hold of our sinful appetites or addictions. Pin us down on actually tithing 10% this year or on taking that first step of sending in that application for adoption or fostering or stepping up to serve or, or to give my life for the benefit of others. Pin us down on embracing community instead of isolation. God, pin us down on living in the light instead of always retreating into the darkness where I can kind of keep my secret sins hidden from everybody else. Pin us down on seeking healing instead of masking over or ignoring our pain and and going off into escape mode so we don't have to deal with it. Pin us down on offering forgiveness to those we've hurt. Pin us down on forgiving people that we've been harboring bitterness towards for too long. Pin us down on working on our marriage instead of allowing that creeping separateness to come in. Why do we run? We run because we don't fully understand who God is. We don't understand how much he loves us and how much it tears him up to see us continue to live in brokenness, settling for less than he wants for our life. And we don't understand how serious he takes our sin, what an offense it is to him. We run because we don't understand who we are in Christ, the power that's available in us through the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in us that rose from the grave to be transformed. We've got everything that we need. We run because we don't rely on community. We don't lean into other people and reveal and be honest about our weaknesses. And as communities, we fail each other far too often. We allow one another to continue to live in sinful patterns instead of taking the chance of confronting someone and saying, man, I think you need to change. (laughs) That's broken. We fail to encourage one another when we see small steps of obedience and change and to get in there and say, man, yeah, let's go. Let's keep at it. You're doing great. If we're looking for a reason to get off the altar again and again, we'll find it. It's easy to get off. But this year, I say, Lord, friends, pin me down. Pin me down. (laughs) Or as Mitch Holtis of the Chiefs says, put the hammer down, right? Guys, is anyone else here sick of living in just these habitual sin patterns in their life? Is anyone else here sick of hearing the voice of God, knowing exactly what he's asking you to do, and then weaseling out of it again and again? Is anyone else sick of just taking God's mercies for granted? Just saying, oh, well, that's great. Thanks for doing all that stuff for me, but I'm just going to live the way I want to. That's an offense to him. And so here's what I'm inviting you to do today. You guys all got a post-it note. Hopefully when you came in, if you didn't, in a minute our ushers will, will give you one. Okay, I'm inviting you because I can't make you do this. (laughs) 
I'm inviting you to write down on this piece of paper something you want God to pin you down on this year. And saying to God, God, when, when you see me getting up, trying to wiggle myself away, God, just pin me down, please. <laughs> and what you're going to do is we do communion this morning, and you're dismissed, and you come down the center aisle. I want you to come up to this altar and take a nail and a hammer, right? And symbolically just say before God and for everybody here, God, pin me down. When you see me wanting to run away or give up, pin me down. And guys, it's scary to think about the power that could be released in a community of people willing to surrender. When you think about the collective potential of 200 people coming before God and saying, pin me down, man. And saying before others, help me, stay here, I need you. What things God could do with that heart and that spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, God, we know that, um, that you know what's best for us. And so in your wisdom, you tell us, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. The truth is, is that our life isn't ours to begin with, but there's something in the offering. There's something in, in choosing to willingly say, okay, God, I trust you that your way is better than mine, and I'm giving you permission <laughs> to root out the sin and brokenness in me, to change me, to transform me, to speak truth into me of who I am, And God, I'm giving you permission to pin me down this year on something. So that when we look back, when it's January of 2017, we can look back and say, you know what? I've changed. I've got victory in this area of my life. I've got a story of redemption to tell others, to encourage them. God, speak to us about what that thing is. And then give us the courage to say, okay, I'm in. Do it. Do what you want to do, which is make me more like your son. Lord, as we enter into this time, God, we, we're just so grateful for your, your body and your blood that was poured out for us, that was sacrificed and laid down so that we might have eternal life, that we might have hope and joy in this broken and flawed world. Help us to receive that this morning as a reminder of the power that's alive in us. God, just speak to our hearts right now as we just silently turn our hearts to you.